On this week's episode, we talk to Neil Kindness from ABL Business Limited. We talk about the move from being a lender to working as a broker, what ABL Business Limited does, the health of the finance sector, and much more. Now, let's spend 30 minutes in finance. Hello, David. I'm Neil Kindness. I'm the Regional Director for ABL Business Limited in Scotland. Uh, I've recently moved into the area of debt advisory and, and broker from a career in lending. I was I was born and grew up in Aberdeenshire in the northeast of Scotland. Many years ago, I graduated with a business degree and entered the world of accountancy, all in Aberdeen. In 1985, I was working as a financial analyst in the oil and gas sector, decided that accountancy really wasn't for me. And also, in terms of the oil and gas sector in those days, unless you were a diver or an engineer, you didn't earn a lot of money. Certainly you didn't as a bean counter, as, as the Americans used to call us. <laughs> so I joined Kellogg Factors. Uh, didn't know an awful lot about factoring. In fact, didn't know anything about factoring, but that happened to be probably a life-changing experience for me. Uh, joined Kellogg Factors in 1985. At that time, it was partly owned by Bank of Scotland. I spent six months not understanding a word of it, couldn't get my head around it. And then one day it just clicked. And, and I've been in the invoice finance and asset-based lending market ever since. Uh, in 1989, I moved to London to join UCB Invoice Finance, which was a subsidiary of Paribas. In the mid nineties, UCB was acquired by the Bank of New York, which I think was a very pivotal time in my career. It was my introduction to asset-based lending, which is now mainstream, it's cost-effective, and gives greater structural flexibility, if you like. Later, I worked for GMAC Acceptance Credit, GE Commercial Finance, and Lands Banking Commercial Finance. And about 10 years ago, I moved back to Scotland, where I worked for Santander. And that's really my journey, if you like. <laughs> no, that's. I think it's a, an interesting one. And in terms of obviously now that you've ended up with ABL, what what prompted the switch between obviously being a, a lender um, to then going into the sort of brokering world? Was there a sort of one particular moment you thought I've got to sort of jump ship, or or anything that actually well, sort of led uh, to that? To be honest, I, I think uh, age. You know, it's 40 years since I, I left university. In fact, 43 years since I left university. Uh, loved my time working as a lender. Uh, did some fantastic deals over the years. Uh, my last job at Santander, like a lot of banks, Santander were, were having a restructure, which I think every bank is obliged to do every year, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the, the job I had at Santander at that time, I was in the big ticket international trade and working capital team. I absolutely loved the job, but in the restructuring, that role no longer it was viable, so the job disappeared. I could have stayed on at Santander uh, doing a purely invoice finance job. If I had been 20 years younger with a mortgage, kids at school, then I would have probably taken any job that Santander wanted to offer me. 
I, that time I just felt I, I needed to do something different. I didn't know what it was, uh, but I, I decided to volunteer for redundancy. And while I was thinking about my next career move, I was approached by several lenders who had known me over the years, a private equity company, and I was doing consultancy work, uh, which was fine. I knew it was never going to be what I wanted to do long term, but it, it, it just gave me that breathing space to figure out what I wanted to do. Little did I know that there would be a pandemic arriving in the world and I would have all the time in the world to think about it because everybody was in lockdown. Uh, <laughs> Good time. So, so, that, so, that, so my timing was everything. Anyway, during lockdown, I spoke to the lady who's now my managing director, Alex Beardsley, and we, we you know, it, we seemed to have a rapport. I, I joined websites that they did. And the one thing, I mean, everybody assumed that I, when I left Santander, I was probably going to retire. Well, the one thing I realized during lockdown is if that's retirement, then it's not for me. I don't want to retire. Uh, they'll have to carry me out in a box. I wouldn't know what to do with my life. Uh, I play a lot of golf, but there's only so many rounds of golf you can play, you know? So, <laughs> and with the Scottish weather, maybe even less. Yeah. So I, I decided that I had to do something. Uh, lock, retirement was never going to be an option. Lockdown just confirmed that. And then as we came out of lockdown about a year ago, uh, I met up with Alex Beardsley and our other joint managing director, Andy Redman. And they said, do you want to come and work with us? And it was an absolute no-brainer. I never thought about it. I just said yes. And, and they teased me and that, don't you want to play hard to get? And I went, no, I'll do it for nothing. I just need to, I need to get out of the house and do something. And that's how I ended up at ABL. Well, that's uh, so it wasn't it wasn't some part of some great master plan, but but you know what? All my life I've been lucky. I've always been in the right place at the right time. The right opportunities have come along, and this was just another extension of that good luck. Yeah, it seems that often the way, and I know a lot of the brokers that we work with um, that have been in the bank that sort of. Uh, voluntary redundancy, the VR side of things has really allowed them to take that little step back and try something new. And most of them have never looked back. Um, and I think it seems to be, it's that little bit of comfort, I guess, um, in the background that, that gets you sorted. Um, and obviously, once you've joined ABL, are you able to give us a, a little bit of a, a background as to what ABL does um, and what you sort of specialize in there? Okay, well, my role is, is to grow our client base in Scotland, and it's part of a, a general growth plan by ABL. Uh, ABL has got good, the business has been established for 10 years. It's got a very solid foundation, but now is the time to grow in that foundation. And me joining them with a view to setting up in Scotland is just part of that. I also have a history of doing the larger deals. So I perhaps can bring a lot more volume onto our, our business in terms of the size of transaction. Uh, over the period of time, 
you know, the plan for Scotland independently is, is is to grow the business here, not just from a client perspective, but to recruit people uh, and, and certainly establish ourselves, you know, as, as a major player in the Scottish corporate finance sector. Uh, I mean, in terms of ABL, ABL was established in, in Yorkshire uh, by Alex and Andy, as I previously mentioned. You know, it, it, the company exists to ensure that, that business owners and their advisors are aware of all the commercial funding options that's available before they have to make a final decision regarding their particular scenario. Uh, the reason I, I, I had no hesitation in joining them, one is I liked the integrity and ambitions of, of Alex and Andy. They're very much in line with my own. You know, that. There's a, it's a very, very ambitious team, you know, very good young professional people. Uh, we're ISO 9001 regulated, so our compliance is something we're, we're very, very proud of and, and look to build upon. So, so really it was that integrity, the opportunity, the opportunity to grow my part of it, but also be part of a strategic growth for the whole business. Uh, you know, we really want to become a centre of excellence in the debt advisory sector, and and that all. I feel ten years younger. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really do. But having worked all my life in in invoice finance and asset based lending, you know, I've now had to retrain to other types of funding that I've never done in my life. Uh, so it's just given me a new lease of life. Yeah, I think it is. It's such an interesting sort of space as well, because I guess it is every day kind of different for you at the moment. You never know what sort of um, asset someone's going to bring you to look at. You never know who yeah. you're going to have a chat with. Um, so you see some really quirky things. And, and we'll get on to that in a second. But um, one of the, the things that I, I must admit, I know very, very little about the sort of asset side of things other than property and development finance which uh, we we fund yeah. ourselves um so I, i'll sort of maybe if if it's okay just to are you able to give us a real sort of very sort of quick sort of bullet point uh, sort of overview of what sort of products are actually available for people um sort of from you know, I, and this is probably a very broad question, but um, sort of the sort of things that people could look and maybe some examples uh, of the kind yeah. of assets that you've maybe raised some finance against. Well, what I would say is, you know, my, my career has been based mostly on invoice finance in American style asset based lending, which is slightly different to traditional asset finance, where the finance is directly raised against either a a fixed asset register or one particular fixed asset, uh, there will always be a lot of that. Uh, in fact, one area that well, I have financed in the last few months is we have a, we have a client in the haulage business and he's very acquisitive, etc. And what I didn't realise until we tried to raise finance for him uh, for one of the businesses up here in Scotland is the commercial vehicle market is going through something similar in terms of as the private motor vehicle market in terms of because of supply chain issues it's very difficult to get new vehicles and because of that there's been a rise in 
in the value of used commercial vehicles. So, you know, we, we had a value on the balance sheet of the target company of X amount in terms of the, the, the commercial vehicles unencumbered. And we managed to raise almost 100% of what the balance sheet value was purely and simply because the open market value was quite high. In terms of asset-based lending, which I've done all my life, that really uh, is a form of lending which includes stock, plant and machinery, some property, but everything is, is geared around an invoice finance facility. So I started off in invoice finance, or I started off in factoring, and the market moved to invoice finance. It then moved to confidential invoice finance, and then with the the acquisition of ourselves by the Bank of New York, suddenly the market moved on again to what the Americans call ABL, asset-based lending. So basically what they do is they take the assets on a balance sheet and try and sweat out as much as they can out of each one. But everything is geared around an invoice finance facility. There must be an, an invoice finance facility in place. But that enables them to look at the likelihood of you know, funding against stock, funding against plant and machinery and property. However, what I would say is they're looking at a portfolio of assets and they wouldn't probably raise as much on, on property as a specialist property financier. They're probably, again, similar in terms of asset finance. But if you wanted a revolving credit facility backed up by fixed asset finance all in one package, all from one lender, then that, that's where it, it, it holds its own, if you like. Hmm. Uh, yeah. and, and because of that, it can be used in a significant number of different applications. Uh, Are you able to um, kind of give us a, a an example of the sort of clients that you're currently working yes. with um and, and sort of is there any particular space in which you actually are either getting busier or, or has always been your main sort of focus like an industry or or anything like that uh well you know what has been good about the stuff the seven years i was actually in lending is the fact that uh, no no two deals were the same i i can't imagine and those all those years, I ever did a deal that I didn't learn something from. Almost every deal I did, I learned something new from everyone. Moving into this side uh, of the business, uh, I've had to learn new skills, as I mentioned. We, we are looking uh, on the haulage side for a number of clients. The reason for that being is, you know, if you imagine fuel prices, uh, insurance costs, interest costs going up. The haulage sector, uh, there's a lot of pressure on haulage companies. You know, they don't get extended credit for fuel and fuel prices are going up. Very, very often they will uh, pay them, they will still pay their drivers weekly and then expect maybe to have to give to their customers 50, 60, 70 days credit. So there's a cash flow gap in terms of the money going out and the money coming in. And ironically, the busier they are, the bigger that gap becomes. Now, because of the current economic crisis, a lot of these smaller SME haulage companies, maybe owner-occupied uh, businesses or owner-run businesses, should I say, 
uh, they they get at the point where they think, well, there's no succession of this business. Perhaps I might as well sell it. So, as I mentioned, we have a client that basically has the cash and the ability to buy up these small companies. So we're doing a lot with regard to that, but that's throughout the UK. In terms of me personally, uh, obviously I have a background coming from Aberdeen. I used to work as a financial analyst in the oil and gas industry. Uh, since moving back to Scotland, although I live in the central belt, I've always done a lot of business up in Aberdeen. Even more so now, uh, I've we've already financed a million pound invoice finance facility for a client in Aberdeen just before Christmas. But we're running with a number of deals whereby uh, the subsea sector is, is quite prominent at the moment. There's something like 17 licenses being issued by the Scottish government for offshore wind farm exploration. Now, the support that, that is required to back up something, you know, 17 projects is immense. So we've kind of hit a vein whereby we're running with three or four deals where they're all in that area where they're supporting this renewal, renewable energies transformation up in Aberdeen. Hmm. Are you finding that a lot of lenders are sort of keen to actually fund places like that? Because I know from sort of the property side of things, people find it very hard to sort of find funding for uh, waste to energy sites, sort of wind turbines, that kind of thing. On the, Have you got sort of lenders that, and I'm talking of sort of just normal property lenders, uh, sort of bricks and mortar kind of, you know, the, the normal sort of bridges, they, they, it's very difficult to fund it that way. Is that something yeah. that is relatively easy to fund or is that a very difficult project to, and only a few select places that do it? Well, I would start off by saying in my whole 37 year career, I've never found anything easy to fund. The minute you think that, then it dries up. But no, You've missed something. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, what I would say is oil and gas is, I'm not going to go into politics, but oil and gas uh, is a political storm at the moment throughout the UK. Uh, so I think it's very difficult to raise things like private equity, etc., for for oil and gas businesses. However, in terms renewables is a great word. People like the fact that that they're contributing to something towards this, you know, net zero uh, roadway. Uh, with the companies we're working with. In Aberdeen, uh, most of them are in some shape or form supporting the re renewable energy. So, property finance isn't coming into it, but things like invoice finance is very strong. Uh, stock finance for the right type of business, uh, plant and machinery finance, those are the type of things that, that we're doing because. The companies have to gear up. Uh, they need the appropriate equipment to work in this environment. Uh, so, so that from that aspect, in terms of, you know, asset finance, invoice finance, and to a lesser extent, stock finance, 
those are the areas we're working in with regards to these businesses. And it's like it's like everything else. Uh, you need to go to the market uh, properly and, and be ready for the finance and have the business prepared properly. Uh, and, and that's one thing that having worked on the lending side and now working on an advisory side, I encourage our clients to, through me, to approach the banks with, with proper management information, with robust forecasts, with feasible uh, business plans and, and company models. Uh, I I know what I, how I would have wanted to see financial information presented when it came to me when I was on the lending side. It didn't often happen, but I'd like to think I learned from that side and try and make it as easy for the lenders I approach to get very, very quickly under the skin of the businesses and for those businesses to present themselves in their best possible form. That's not to, you know, not to, to prepare, you know, present themselves as someone they're not. But, but to give a very clear picture of why this business should succeed or is succeeding and why whoever we approach should seriously consider funding it. Yeah, because it, it, it's an instrument. And obviously, you mentioned that the sort of jump between the lender um, and now being the, the broker side of things um, has helped you a lot. I, I, is that something that you think, um, is there any kind of one thing that you do specifically that you could share with either the viewers that you think other than obviously being sort of very detailed and and kind of really presenting that in the the best light anything that you think is like you know this is something that a lot of brokers won't know about the lenders um i can think of a couple of things from our point of view that you know i'll tell you from sort of our perspective as property lenders it's the sort of look at everything from their perspective what sort of risks would they want yes. to cover off um have you got anything like that that you think would that yeah. other people can use and implement to help maybe sort of get that initial inquiry process a little bit easier maybe increase their sort of success rate uh, with agreements uh, sort of agreements and principles that kind of thing well I, I think one of the things that stood me well in my whole career is, although I didn't, I didn't stay in the accountancy profession. I started off in it, and I love numbers. I love spreadsheets. I love cash flow forecasts. Now, when I was putting the deal together, my career, until I understood the cash flow, I never knew if it was a deal or not. And during my my time working for Americans, we used to come up with something that was called the borrowing base which was basically an extension of the client's forecast P&L balance sheet and cash flow. And really that kind of, the deal kind of fell out of that because you would have a list of assets. You would have a list of assumptions as to what you could raise on those assets, all taken from the company's forecast balance sheet. And then you would, you would have the company's funding requirement going forward on a month by month basis. And you either had a deficit or a headroom, and if you had headroom, you got the you'd got the structure of the deal correct. If you had a deficit, you had to look at the structure of the deal and and try and come up with a solution, uh, maybe a short term cash flow side of it. So I think very much the understanding the financials, challenging how robust they are. So actually going 
to a lender and, and not plucking a number out of the air, but saying, look, we need this level of funding. These are the assets we've got to offer. This is what we think we could generate. We should be able to generate amongst us values against those individual assets. We therefore think it meets it meets the funding requirements of the of the business, and we can we can demonstrate that. And we've challenged how robust and realistic the forecasts are. Uh, that's always helped me in terms of credit committees. Uh, back in the day, and I think it helps me now in that um, I'm just taking what our clients have done and just enhancing it as if I was still working for the lender, if you like. Yeah, no, I think that's, yeah, it's a brilliant one because it is. it makes it so much easier if you can sort of just make the lender's job a little bit easier you've done all the sort of dirty work and they basically just check your sort of spelling um well, and that, that sort no, of thing I, I to be honest that it, it takes all i've done is is open the door for them there's still a hell of a lot of work for them to do. <laughs> uh, i wouldn't take the credit for you know i'd like to perhaps think more that i've grabbed their attention early on as opposed to done the job for them I would never be so presumptuous to think that. <laughs> well, I'm sure as one, we appreciate it when there's little to do, um, but just check it all. Um, as it, obviously, working uh, in, well, several different locations, but especially in this sort of the States, is there a, a major difference between uh, that sort of lending um, in the States as compared to the UK? Well, well, I should clarify that although I work for American banks, I work for them in London. Oh, okay. Uh, Never mind. <laughs> but, but obviously, our our criteria, our appetites, our commerciality was was driven from your know, appearance in the states. Uh, I think there's you, some sometimes you just remember, you know, the the nice bits. But as far as as far as I can remember, there was far more of a can-do attitude. You know, when when. When I went to work for American banks, albeit in the UK, they very much had a, a can-do attitude as opposed to previously. Sometimes you felt that uh, you know we were looking for reasons not to do a deal as opposed to looking for reasons to do it. And I think my... I mean, there's a few of us all worked together at that time uh, we moved on. We worked together in other places. Uh, I think they would all say the same as me. Their whole careers changed. Uh, their attitude to business changed. The whole appetite for business. Certainly, you know, the day that Bank of New York bought UCB was was the turning point in my career. That was probably the best part of my career. If, if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't have been at GMAC. I wouldn't have been at GE Capital. I wouldn't have been at Landsbanky. And as I mentioned earlier. I haven't done a deal in my whole career that I haven't learned something from. Either a new industry, a new methodology of doing something, a new way of structuring a deal. Uh, and, and it all happens in terms of those. And the, Amer the Americans came in and basically the whole industry took off from there. You know, a, it, it became a, a... When I first started out, factoring was a very frowned upon method of finance uh, and quite rightly so the way some of it there were only about 12 factory companies in the uk 
they used to tease us the the fact of the, the the receiver to the front door of the business. It didn't have a very good reputation. And then it, it dragged. I was lucky. I I joined the industry at the end of all of that, and it was getting its act together. Uh, we we went from factoring to invoice discounting, as I mentioned earlier, to confidential invoice discounting, and then and then it became credible and a far better alternative to a traditional bank overdraft. Uh, the Americans came in with an even better attitude, more products, more flexible products. That meant we could go after deals that we couldn't go after before because there was a flexibility in terms of structuring deals. Uh, and the whole industry changed. I mean, compared to what it is now, it, there's just no comparison. And, and, and I'm lucky. I grew up with all of that. Uh, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Yeah, it's a, well, it's an interesting different ones that one that I didn't actually expect you to say, but you you do hear obviously there is a the the Americans are, are positive by nature, <laughs> so I I can see why that would in, in sort of be instilled into the the sort of business, and you, I I think you're absolutely right in terms of the current climate even now that there are several lenders, especially sort of more mainstream ones, where it seems as though it's an incredible battle to get the deals over the line. I used to work at Barclays and as a yeah. business manager there, you actually had to fight for your customer against the credit uh, team as opposed to working with them to figure out a way to, to sort of fund well, uh, the deals. I, th I think that's always, I, I think that's always been the case, but it was exaggerated after the, you know, the financial crisis of 2008. Yeah, and that's when I was with Barclays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, there were horrific stories with regard to, you know, the government bailing out banks, etc., without naming names. Now, what that did was open the doors for what they, they now call the, the, the challenger banks or the alternative banks who came into the market. Yeah. Now, in terms of the traditional banks, they had to become even more cautious because we never wanted a scenario like 2008 to happen again. Now, high street banks, they're lending you and I savings and everybody else's savings, so they can't afford to lose that. So there's pressure on them. You, you have the challenger banks or the alternative banking market created post-2008 where they had a different source of funding, you know, sovereign funds, private equity, etc. Now, I'm not saying they are uh, too risk-taking, but they're going to be more commercial and more open to ideas uh, because they're not lending private individuals' money. And it probably, in the long term, it's a great thing for the industry. It's brought new products. It's brought new appetites. It's brought competition. You know, yeah. when I started out, there weren't that many lenders. God, how many lenders are there in the UK now? Uh the one thing I'd say in Scotland is we still are in a position where we don't have enough lenders up here and in any shape or form. Uh, that's where I'm lucky working for, a, for that ABL Business Limited because although I'm, I'm challenged with, with raising the profile and getting clients up here, I can, I can raise the funding anywhere. And actually, so far, most of the funding I've raised up here since I since I joined the ABL has been outside of Scotland. Now, 
my clients and the likes of Aberdeen and Glasgow and Edinburgh, etc., they don't really care where the money's coming from as long as it delivers what they need. Yeah. You know, it's competitive and, and it's deliverable. But it's a shame, actually. Uh, a lot of business is done here by UK-based, other UK-based banks, uh, but they don't create a presence up here. You know, it's almost like they, they came up in a dawn raid and, 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 and refinanced things like Highland Spring and stuff like that. However, I'm as guilty of prolonging that because if I can't find the appropriate finance in Scotland, then I'll go to England. And having yeah. spent 21 years of my career in, in London, in Birmingham, I, I've still got all my contacts and contemporaries down there. With the, the current actual sort of difficulties, the current climate with the uncertainty and the, the sort of base rate changing, um, all of that, how big an impact has that actually had on, on that side of the market? Um, is it sort of similar? Because obviously see, you see all the headlines about mortgage rates going up for sort of normal residentials. Has it been as dramatic um, for you guys on the sort of invoice and the, the factoring side of stuff or um, and, and asset lending? Or has it been a bit sort of steadier? And what are the sort of rates that things actually range you know, from? I I mean, in terms of, it's not it's not so bad as in the commercial property market where where you know you exist in terms of, you know, the, the commercial mortgage market I assume is a bit similar to the residential mortgage market in terms of yes, people are coming to the end of fixed term loans etc., and they have to refinance them and is it the right thing to do now, etc. Uh, etc. Et with regards to invoice finance, etc., yes, interest rates have gone up. Uh, and I would say that decision-making by lenders is probably... I'm generalising here. Yeah. Uh, that, yes, perhaps decision-making has taken that wee bit longer. Uh, however... Uh, there's a, the other thing is, there's always a lot of activity in the invoice finance market. Now, sometimes it's very, it's not that clear sometimes to, to me, certainly, is how much of that is just one invoice finance company refinancing another invoice finance company facility, or how much of it is a new player to the market doing invoice finance or asset-based lending for the first time. I, I think there's always going to be that churn of stuff just being refinanced. Uh, but perhaps in difficult times, perhaps invoice finance is, is, is a good solution in terms of hard times. In invoice finance, you're not borrowing money against an asset like you would be in terms of property or plant and machinery, which potentially could go down in value. In invoice finance, You've already done the work. You've raised an invoice. It's on your sales ledger. It's not going to decrease in value unless the product or the service, etc., was of poor quality and didn't deliver what it was meant to do. Otherwise, all you're doing is releasing money that you've already done the work for. You've either supplied the product, the service, or, or whatever. So you're releasing money that's already belongs in your business. You're just releasing it sooner. So yeah. that tends to be 
economic climate proof if there's such a word in terms of you're not borrowing against an asset that potentially could lose value overnight etc cetera, etc cetera. so 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 from that aspect i mean i mentioned before there's about 12 factory companies when i entered the market there's hundreds now uh they're all competing they're all good they're all working at different levels there are some that won't go above a certain period a certain turnover size or lens size there's others that won't start until it gets to a certain level etc so they're all shapes and and sizes of, of companies uh i go back to what i said before that uh there's always money to be raised you just have to perhaps improve your skills at fundraising in terms of as i said earlier are you presenting the company in the best light? Is your management information up to date? Are your auditors' accounts filed on time? Are your for do your forecasts reflect reality in terms of the business? Are they robust enough to stand up to any credit committee's scrutiny, uh, et cetera, et cetera? So good businesses will always find funds. And the other side of an, an economic downside is there are always for people who do have funding and the access to cash, there are acquisition opportunities. Because if you've got your housekeeping in order and everything, and you have access to funds, there will be opportunities in whichever industry you work in for, for acquisitions. I mean, we've got a client doing that, as I mentioned, in the haulage industry. Now, he's not buying bad businesses. He's buying businesses where perhaps the, the owner-manager has said, right, enough's enough. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, I've I've answered your question with quite a, quite a wide, broad brush, but hopefully that helps. No, yeah, no, that that's perfect. And in terms of, and this might be something that you necessarily don't want to share, but I know a lot of people listening are always interested in this bit. Um, when it comes to sort of potential income for brokers, introducers, et cetera. Um, how does it work? Obviously in the, the sort of residential, in the sort of bridging space, development finance, there's typically a, like a proc fee um, or some commission paid by the lender, as well as obviously any additional broker fees and that kind of thing. Does it work the same in there? And is there kind of like a set level or is it all sort of lender dependent? Uh, it to be honest, I'll answer your question one step at a time. Yes, we, we get paid by the lenders. Uh, our, our service, we don't charge the clients at all. And, and we have, there is in our terms and conditions the, the scenario whereby if a lender says to us, look, we've, we've offered your client very, very fine terms. We really want them as a client because we've offered such fine terms. We're not going to pay you then yes, perhaps we would negotiate with our clients uh, to get a, a management fee or an arrangement fee for putting the facility together. Uh, but that would be all agreed at the outset. And if the deal never happens, we would only get paid if the deal actually completed. So yeah. everything we do for the client is free up to a point whereby in 99% of the cases, we would get paid by the lender. I've never heard of a deal since I joined ABL where we didn't get paid by the lender, but I'm sure we, the, the, 
that has happened. It just hasn't happened to me. It, it depends on the type of funding in terms of uh, how we get paid. So generally, as, you know, asset financiers, property financiers, everybody else, they, they'll, all, they'll all pay us in a similar way. It's just that, you know, the way we get paid by invoice finance companies is slightly different to how we would get paid by someone who is financing, say, a piece of plant and machinery or something on a standalone basis. Uh, we either get a percentage of the income or a percentage of the facility size. Now, the good thing is, to my knowledge, they more or less... Every invoice finance company or every asset finance company, they more or less all offer the same amount, you know, the same principles, should I say. So I would hate to think, it certainly wouldn't happen in, in our place, that we placed a business because so-and-so offered a better commission. I mean, that's not what we're in business to be. We're here to to set standards, not, not diminish standards. So I would imagine... Every invoice finance company that you went to, if you went to them with a million pound facility, you'd you'd more or less be paid the same amount by every single one of them. Maybe maybe they would be structured slightly different, uh, but that's how we get paid, and we're upfront about it. You know, we can't we're in business to make money as well, but first and foremost, uh, we don't when we approach banks, we tend to approach them one at a time, unless a client specifically wants a plan B. I mean, our job is to to sit down with the client, listen to them. What are they trying to achieve? What funding do they have at the moment? What, what, what are they looking for in the future? And so gather information and then help them put a proposal together and and figure out in that particular scenario, for that particular client, who we think is the most appropriate lender for them. And usually that works. If it doesn't, then, you know, we we will have other people in mind. It may just be that it's a sector that the bank that we've approached, they don't like that sector or they've had a bad experience quite recently in that area. Uh, But generally, uh, we usually get a a green light from the first lender we go to because that that's that's what we're offering that that's our product you know yeah uh, you know where to go <laughs> um yeah. and that's why they come to you and obviously yeah. it's for that direction and, and guidance um with so many lenders out in the market um are they kind of do they all sort of specialize in something sort of different or is there a, a huge amount of crossover and it's kind of just going with the ones uh, that maybe sort of work well and are, are easy to sort of get on with as well if the terms assuming terms and everything are all the same invoice finance is invoice finance however it's all down to appetite structure who's actually providing the ultimate finance for the invoice finance company uh so it, it's like everything else. You and I could have exactly the same type of business, but but we run it different differently because we're two different individuals. And my my job first and foremost is, and it's been the same my whole career. Is I, I've got this thing about deliverability. 
I, I reckoned that when I was doing the job, the worst thing I, I used to touch with it didn't happen very often, but my biggest concern when I was on the lending side was not being able to deliver the deal. You know, okay, something may have come out of the woodwork further down, but I used to dread having to go back to a client and say, or a potential client and say, look, credit committee's turned down the deal. And quite rightly so, the, the, the prospect would turn around and say, look, Neil, what, what do you know now that you didn't know six weeks ago? You know, and, and touch wood, it never happened very often, but you always lived in the fear that it would. So deliverability was everything. Yeah. I'm lucky in terms of the invoice finance and asset-based lending market, in the players that I deal with, I've either worked or no, I've probably worked with at least one person who works for most of those organizations. <laughs> if you think I was, I was in it, they're all a bit like me getting on in time. If you think of it, over 37 years, I mean, I only worked for half a dozen companies, but the amount of people that came that, I, you know, through GMAC, Bank in New York, Lands Banking, uh, I know most of the people and I know the people that can deliver. That's more important to me. I want to be able to turn around to my client and say, I think we should go with them because they'll deliver, you know? Uh, yeah. That certainty but, is yeah. Uh, yeah. must. I, I, I've, had that, I've had that all my career. And, and in terms of, you know, when we set up Lands Banking, we, we wanted to be different. There was no point in us doing everything that everybody else did. We needed to do something that was different. However, we did, when people used to say it to us, who's your competition? We used to say, well, hopefully nobody, but probably everybody, because everybody <laughs> will end up copying us in the end, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I, I think the main thing is, is commerciality, deliverability, and also sensible in terms of price. Uh, it's a competitive market. I'm, I'm more inter interested in the individual probably uh, than I am in which particular bank it is. Okay, the banking the banking lending criteria is very important, but the chances are I've dealt with the people before. I've worked with them. Some of them, God, I might have even trained back in the day. So I'm more concerned that I'm dealing with somebody that I know and I know their organisation can deliver. Uh, and saying that, uh, I'm learning about new lenders every day. It, it, it's fantastic, you know. Yeah, there, there's so a, many. It's... Well, not being a, no longer being a lender, I have to do my research now. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have, I, I, I have to keep up with who's where and what and what do they do and what's their criteria, what's their speciality. Uh, it's great fun. Yeah, I think it's a really good space. And obviously, I'm, I am conscious of the time and I don't want to keep you too much longer. But um, is there anything else um, that you think, let's say somebody was just starting to get into uh, the sector. Um, is there any sort of one bit of advice that you would give if they were looking to become a, a sort of asset broker or, or anything like that? Uh, I would put you on the spot. <laughs> No, I, I, I would say learn the business before you become a broker. Uh, 
you know, the, I couldn't I couldn't do the job I'm doing, hopefully as well as I think I'm doing it, without having worked on the lending side. And if you really want to be, you know, a, if you want to be a specialist, if you want to really, it depends what your your outlook is. Me, I would say, work for a lender and lend and learn the basics at the very least. Uh, how how could you be a broker of financial products if you've never actually worked in financial products? So, yeah, no, that's a good one. And uh, one I'm, other I'm, question. I'm, I'm not, not saying I do it for 37 years like I did, but, you know, at the very <laughs> yeah, least. Yeah, that's some extreme training. <laughs> yeah. You know, certainly, the one thing I would say is don't become a broker that gets a business plan and then gives it to half a dozen banks and hopefully one of them will do it. Uh, that cheapens your client's business. Uh, it, it, it doesn't do the broker industry much good. You know, I, I remember banking, you know, especially when I was in Birmingham, it was the biggest village in the world. Somebody would send the same deal to six bankers in Birmingham, and they didn't realize we all spoke to each other. And, and we would say, there must be something wrong with this deal, because we've all got it, you know? Uh, yeah. So we keep missing what's wrong with this deal, but there must be something wrong with it. Well, well they wouldn't have sent it to every bank. Well, <laughs> that's what happens, you know? Yeah, no, I think that is it. We we see a few. Um, and then the the sort of final question that I do have, um, is is there any kind of one particular deal or anything that you've done that is, is really stuck in your mind as something sort of really out there, um, either a, an unusual asset you funded or a, a, a company that sort of you were instrumental in helping or, or anything like that? There's oh, probably goodness. loads of them, but <laughs> well, uh, you're going to have to go back a few years. Uh, I remember doing a deal when I was both of these deals were when I was at Lands Banking. Uh, there was a Dutch, a Dutch owned PLC company, uh, was looking to sell uh, one of its non core divisions, if you like. And there's a private equity firm from Birmingham. Uh, they approached us to see if we could fund it. We were very lucky at Lands Banking. We, we could work in various different jurisdictions because we, we had legal documents that meant we could operate all over the world, which very few asset-based lenders had. So this company was sold to the, the subsidiaries that were sold. One was in just north of Manchester. And the other one was in New Jersey in the States. And both businesses had property, plant and machinery, stock, debt of, you name it. And we were able to fund, to provide an asset-based lending facility, obviously north of Manchester, but also in New Jersey. And the other thing about American law is the states all have different laws, etc. So the state... The state law in, in New Jersey might be different to across the water in New York, uh, but we delivered that deal, and that was a lot of satisfaction. You know, two different jurisdictions, assets in both, and we used a Birmingham lawyer for it. Would you believe? And it was brilliant. <laughs> no, that's and the other. That the, that that's probably. I just I just 
fond memories of that deal. I'm quite sure there was a lot of issues on it, but to me, looking back over 10 years, it all seems fairly straightforward, but I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> and the no, other one was we had, a, we had a client in the UK that had a subsidiary in Australia, and uh, we were lending probably something like 20 million uh, Australian dollars, and it wasn't very well managed by from the UK by our UK clients, but the business over in Australia wasn't performing, and uh, and there was question marks as to whether we don't want to go into too much detail, but there was question marks whether we might not get the full twenty million Australian dollars back if something went wrong, and I was sent over there and. Uh, I remember having a few sleepless nights thinking, well, I, I never lent the $20 million, but if I don't get this back, it's going to be my fault. Uh, <laughs> cut, a, cut a long story short, uh, the business was sold and the bank got its money back. Now, that was a negative story that turned into a positive one. Those are the two deals that probably stick out most in my mind. Did they actually send you out to Australia? Yes. Oh, wow. So it's face-to-face, uh, -face. <laughs> um, actually well, get it sort of sorted. I, I was lucky. At 16 years of my career in, 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 in England, I had the same boss for 16 out of the 21 years, uh, Alan McLaren. And he came to me one Thursday and said, uh, what are you up to at the weekend? I said, nothing much. He said, thank God for that. You're flying to Melbourne on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> a free holiday that's the wasn't, uh, I not tell you, so much <laughs> it wasn't do you know what I ended up being out there back and forth uh, for nearly 13 months and uh, it was wow. touching good as to whether we'd get our money back uh, in the end it all turned out okay but I'll tell you what it wasn't a holiday I've never worked so bloody hard in my life because <laughs> it was so that, my neck it was on the line <laughs> yeah and that's a lot of money um it's sort of in anyone's books i'd imagine um but no yeah I, I as i said i think um i've kept you long enough and obviously i really appreciate you coming well, on I've enjoyed uh, it. no thank you very much it's and like, obviously it's been like this is your life <laughs> yeah exactly next time it, we'll, we'll sort of take a look through the keyhole as well and then we'll go um, but just uh if obviously if anybody wants to get in touch with you um in terms of either just to sort of chat things through or, or obviously to actually utilize your services how would people get in touch and we can obviously put all the details in the, the yeah, description well, as well but let us know well well we there's the ABL business website, which is excellent. I mean, it, it, it's worth looking at, even if uh, if you don't need this this moment in time. It, it, it describes all our philosophy. We've got people in London. Our main office is in Yorkshire, but we've got people in London, people near Bristol, etc. Uh, so you can get me through that. Uh, LinkedIn, uh, I think I've been on LinkedIn since it was started. Uh, my, my contact details are on LinkedIn. Uh, I have an office which is halfway between Edinburgh and Glasgow, uh, but I cover the whole of Scotland. Uh, but equally, uh, if, if, the, if there was a business down south, then I would pass it on to the appropriate person in our organisation. Uh, so there's many ways of getting hold of me. 
Absolutely. Perfect. And uh, yeah, I'll add all of that in the description. And once again, thanks so much, Neil, for your time. I really appreciate it. Good. Thank you.